Uh, last week, we were introduced to Jacob, who, with the help of his mother, Rebecca, manages to manipulate and trick his father and his brother out of the rights and the, uh, the, the rights of the firstborn and the blessing and the inheritance from his father. His name means trickster. Uh, and he's the sort of kind of guy that when he passes you by, you check your wallet to make sure it's still there uh, uh, because he would rob you blind in a heartbeat. Uh, his twin brother Esau, once he found out of Jacob's trickery, had vowed to kill him. And so his mother came up with a plan to save his life. And you can sum up the plan with one word, run. <laughs> and so she decided to send uh, Jacob off to his uh, family hometown under the guise of looking for a wife. Well, little does Jacob know that he's going to be on this trip for some 20 years. Uh, he's going to spend quite a bit of time in Haran, and then he will make his return. But right now, He's on the run, and he's kind of in a bad place. And speaking of place, as I read the text, I want you to listen for the word place. It shows up six times in these verses that we're going to read. Uh, it's an extremely important term for the author and for us as the audience. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder or a staircase set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Sounds familiar, right? The same promise that he gave to Abraham. Behold, verse 15. I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his dream and said, Surely the Lord is in the place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel or Bethel, because, uh, but the name of the city uh, at first was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and God will keep this way, keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth back to you. The word of the Lord. 
Well, this is quite an interesting story. It's probably one of the war, uh, more well-known in the story of, of Jacob. Um, he, he names the place where he is Bethel, which means the house of God. Beth being house and El referring to Elohim or shortened version, shortened version of Elohim. And, and so it's the house of God. And that stairway leading up leads to the gate of heaven. Now, this was not a ladder like we would have with rungs, but most likely a staircase or even a ramp. Um, there were a number of these uh, features uh, uh, known as ziggurats. Uh, the Babylonians had a number of these. They looked like pyramids, but the idea is that it was a staircase that, left, uh, that led up to heaven. But the point is, angels ascending and descending means that this is a straight path. It's a straight a direct line to God. Their presence assures that earth is not abandoned. Earth has not been abandoned, but rather maintains connectedness with heaven. Heaven cares about what happens on earth, and earth can count on the resources of heaven being available for our disposal. These stairs were the entrance to the gate of heaven and Jacob is standing in the very house of God. You know, when you think of the, the phrase house of God, we automatically tend to think of worship houses or worship places, church buildings. And, and we have a deep attachment to these places. And, and we can remember with fondness sitting in the pews or, or perhaps remembering where we were when we heard a sermon or we heard a particular song or experienced a different thing. And, um, and, and so these houses of worship have become our sacred places. But, but the pandemic has forced us to, to kind of toss all of that thinking out the door. Uh, because now uh, we, we find that our sacred places are wherever we are. And that hasn't changed. This isn't new. It's always been that way. But we kind of got stuck into the thinking that, that God showed up here at the building. And that's where he met us. But rather, God shows up wherever we are because his presence is always with us. And now our sacred places are in front of a screen. And, and our way of maintaining contact and communion is through a mobile device or through an email or through a, uh, 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 some sort of context. So wherever we are as God's people, that place should be Bethel, the house of God. Now, in verse 15, there's a threefold promise that, 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 that God develops and will unpack, uh, uh, we'll unpack a little bit here. Uh, there's three parts to this promise in verse 15. The first is, I am with you. God promises his presence. And, and that was the whole meaning, and that was the, 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 the point of the staircase. I am with you. We have a direct connection. We are connected, heaven and earth, my presence with yours. And that idea of God's presence is a fundamental part of the biblical message. Uh, it, it goes all the way from Abraham I will be with you, to Moses, to Jeremiah. We see it when uh, uh, we, we know and we learn of Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. And we hear it again in Jesus' last words in Matthew, I will be with you even till the end of the age. So God's promise, I will be with you. Here in the land of Canaan, also wherever you're going, I will be with you. 
The second uh, uh, promise is that he promises his protection. I will keep you wherever you go. The first promise is about presence. This promise is about action. Uh, the, the image is of a shepherd who is keeping and watching over uh, every sheep in his flock. God is the good shepherd who watches over us and protects us, uh, the helpless sheep in every circumstance. Uh, uh, the promise emphasizes that as God's people, we are not left to our own resources. We're often faced with situations beyond our control, and we wonder, how am I going to get through this? Because we look at what we have and what we're able to do, and, and God reminds us it's not about what we can do. It's rather about the one who is caring for us. We remember that the, uh, uh, the, 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 the priestly blessing from uh, Numbers uh, chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. His presence plus his actions will provide for us. The third thing that God promises is a homecoming. He promises that, Jacob, I will bring you back to this land. And that happened even though it was some 20 years off. You know, many of us feel increasingly out of touch with this world. Uh, we feel like we just don't belong here. It reminds us of those spirituals that were sung in African-American communities going back to the slave days. This world is not my home. I really don't want to be here any longer. This is not a place that I connect to. God, please take us home. I want to fly away. I want to go to be with you. And we long for that home with heaven. And God promises that he'll take us there. And for us as a community of exiles, exiled on earth for the time being, the promise of homecoming is good news. Now, God's presence, his protection, and this homecoming. I mentioned Psalm 23, the good shepherd, but notice how these three promises fit so well with Psalm 23 that we know and love. God is with us. I will fear no evil for you are with me. God will keep us. He leads me. He restores my soul. He cares for me. And thirdly, he will bring me home. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in the light of these promises and this revelation and this dream, Jacob acts in pretty significant and exemplary way. He wakes up and he is filled with amazement and astonishment and fear. He recognizes this is a holy moment and he doesn't want to react glibly. And so he takes this stone, which is probably a large stone, but he sets it up, pours oil on it and consecrates it and makes it into a pillar, a holy place. And those actions of amazement, of fear and worship are all good for us to imitate and for us to practice. But what's hard for us and hard to know what to do with is, is his promise, his vow. Uh, uh, on the one hand, this vow that he makes is a, a type of commitment to God, but it almost sounds a lot like bargaining. Let me read it again. It's verse, 22, uh, um, uh, uh, verse 20 through 22. Jacob made a vow saying, if... 
and that's the key word here, if God be will be with me, and if he will keep me in this way that I go, and if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and if he helps me come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And then I will give him back a tenth of everything that he's just given me. See, that doesn't sound like this tremendous man of faith. It seems like everything's backward. Hasn't the dream convinced Jacob that God is with him? Uh, isn't God already uh, his God? Does he think that God can be bribed with promises and tithes? It seems like everything's backward here. That, that, that Jacob is treating God like his co-pilot at best as a passenger in the back seat at worst. But we have to remember, Jacob is still Jacob. And here, he's more scoundrel than he is saint. And I emphasize that because in the life of Jacob, there are two key pivotal moments in his life. The first is here. Both times he encounters God, both times he gives the place where he finds God or God finds him, uh, he gives it a name. The first is here when he's running from his brother Esau and running to Laban. The second time we'll look, like, we'll look at in two weeks is when he's returning, he's running from Laban and he's running to a meeting and an encounter with his brother Esau. And that'll be in Genesis chapter 32. In both of these encounters, we see that he finds God, but the prayers that he offers are completely different. And I'll save the prayer that he offers in 30, chapter 32 for when we get to that text. Next week, we'll talk about that 20-year period where God is shaping and molding and forming his character in this crucible of coming to a relationship with his future wife. So let me suggest that Jacob is a work in progress. Uh, he's done nothing to deserve God's uh, uh, attention, and yet God continues to reach out to him and continues to bless him. God encourages him with his presence and his protection, and yet Jacob responds with, yeah, I'm not convinced yet. You still have to show me a little bit more. And I guess Jacob sounds a lot like Thomas. Remember Thomas, the one that is referred to sometimes as doubting Thomas? If I don't see the, the holes in his hand, and if I don't put my hand in the hole in his side, if, if I can't see proof, then I, I'm not going to believe. And I think what God does with Jacob is the same thing he does with Thomas. He kind of shakes his head has a grin on his face and says, okay, I'll play your silly little game. I'll show you, I'll guide you, but in no way is my blessing on you dependent on your goodness or your faithfulness because it's not about you, <laughs> it's about me. God doesn't wait until people are spiritually mature to begin working in their life, between to begin guiding and be, to begin blessing. Um, God meets Jacob and God meets Thomas and bows to their conditions. Their if I do this, if you do that, then I will. You know, of all the patriarchs, I, I think I can probably relate best to, to Jacob. Um, God tells Abraham to go and at least in recorded scripture, there's no pushback. 
Abraham picks up and goes. God tells Abraham to offer his son Isaac, and both Abraham and Isaac say, okay, Isaac stood there while Abraham tied him up. Uh, Isaac could have outrun Abraham easily, but Isaac submits. But Jacob, the scoundrel, the scrapper, uh, the, the one who can do it all by myself, that, that's who I can relate to. You know, long before I had ever heard of Jacob or I had ever read this vow that he makes in Genesis chapter 28, I made a similar vow. God, if you will get me out of this mess, I will give you everything. I will be your man. God got me out of the mess. And I promptly forgot about that promise. And I kept on going down my way. But in spite of my immaturity, God shook his head with a grin and said, Okay, Jim, I'll play your silly little game. I'll help you get out of this mess. And I'll wait for you to come on this journey with me. You know, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I was reminded of a song based on this text. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Now, you might have heard Bruce Springsteen do it. He does a really nice jazz version of it. But let me encourage you to bypass that version for now and go to the version that Bernice Johnson Reagan did that was used in Ken Burns' documentary on the Civil War. This song was born in the context of American slaves some two centuries ago. It pictures an upward struggle to reach a better place and a better life. You know, the slaves were convinced that this life had nothing to offer them. And they were convinced that unfortunately in their lifetime, heaven would never come down and rescue them. And so their prayer became, get us off of this earth. Get us out of this mess. Get us out of earth and into heaven with God. You know, even today, many oppressed peoples are convinced that God has forgotten them and God has passed them by. And so our text today in this story of Jacob's ladder reminds us that God and heaven are intimately connected with us and earth. God has made that promise. It's up to us now to truly make the place where we are, the house of God. Whatever your circle of influence is, make that place a place where God connects with us. Make sure that everyone in your circle of influence knows that heaven is connected, that God is connected, and that we are connected with him. The words of Jacob's ladder are so haunting. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Every rung goes higher and higher. Keep on climbing. We'll make it. Unfortunately, many of those slaves didn't make it. We can make sure that everyone in our circle of influence does know that God is here, that heaven is connected, and that we are a part of bringing the blessing into the lives of the people around us. Thank you for connecting today. I pray that you will find some way to bring God's presence and connectedness to the people in your circle of influence. 
As we wrap up our assembly time this morning, uh, Brother Paul Schwepp is here with us and he will lead us in prayer. And then we'll have one more song uh, to conclude uh, uh, our time together. God bless you.